Welcome to Weekday Worship. Weekday Worship. Episode 2, season f- 4-ish. Yeah. I get, we need to like do a, <laughs> Our lines of delineation we need are to do a, a little blurred. A genealogy episode. A genealogy episode on Weekday Worship. Like, you know, you know like maybe it was season season 7 or 6 of Seinfeld where they did that episode where it was just like it was for their 100th episode and it was just best moments from, like highlights. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> You want to go back through our episodes of Weekday Worship and pull out best moments? Yeah. You know, most of the best moments are going to be me saying something smart-alecky and you, everybody being able to see you roll your eyes through the audio. If that's what we accomplished, then I'm not, <laughs> I'm not proud of the hours. Oh, those, those aren't honest. the best moments? Not bad. Uh, I don't even know where we'd start with that. Who gets to determine that? Who should, who yeah, should pour right. through the... Uh, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, uh, the, the, the backlog, the archives, the archives, who's going to pour through the archives to, to pull out the highlight reel. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to do that. No. Probably not. Mm-hmm. We need more paid staff for that. And more vans. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> How are you, my friend? I'm doing wonderful. Good. Um, my, my baby is a month old this Friday. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Kuiper. He's going to be driving in no time. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So, uh, what are you going to do about school? What's that? What do you mean? I'm going to keep doing it. You got to start thinking about no about for Kai what, school. What, yeah, he, got, where he's going to go to school. Yeah, you have to you have to make these decisions I'm about now. Where, I'm still thinking about where I'm going to school. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I mean, he's a month old. You got to figure out education, bro. Oh my god. What are you doing? How much screen time are you exposing him to? Zero. 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 He's never seen a screen. Wow. He's a month old. I don't know even. I don't know how far his vision can see. I don't it's know great. if he can see my. You know, you look at him, he's kind of glazed over. Are you over. reading to him a lot? Huh? Are you reading to him, imparting a love for uh, the the written word? I think there was a Go Dog Go read to him. Oh, really? Yeah. So go we're, dog, in, we're in the heavy stuff. Boy, I've read that one a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll get to Lord of the Rings. Favorite Dr. Seuss book, go. Me? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't, yeah, that's a terrible question for me. Uh-huh. You're going to have to catch up. I'll get there. I'll yeah. keep you updated on my favorite children's books. No, I said Dr. Seuss specifically. Okay. I'm sure you're going to pull out Herman Bobbink's best children's book. Uh, my favorite. And there it is. My favorite. Uh, <laughs> no, this isn't it. This isn't it. Um, my does John favorite, Piper have a children's book? No. Okay. That would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. We love you, John Pipe. Yeah. Yeah, but... Run your lane. You yeah. <laughs> no, uh, Kelsey Pelletier, she got us a uh, uh, the storybook Bible that Kevin DeYoung and an yeah, illustrator yeah. wrote recently. Yeah, what's it called? The Big... God's Big Story God's or something? God's Big Story, yeah. Um, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's cool. Like I, I, I actually look at it to see how he how they summarize. Betsy passages. just got one. I don't know the name of it. It was, um, it was uh, Nancy Guthrie's recent one, and it's, it's super cool. It's... Uh, it's, it introduces the idea of like our shadows, how they give, um, you know, a, a, an impression. Like they, they give uh-huh. a, a sense of who we are, but not mm-hmm. the fullness of who we are. And so yeah. then she connects, like, and so she, like, they, that's just page one. Is like, uh-huh. so the Old Testament provides the shadows. Typology of for kids. Yeah. So then every, so then it just does a one pager on like a lot of the typical stories that you would see, uh-huh. 
and no pun the, the, um, the illustrations are super beautiful and cool where the illustrations in every one have a, like, if it's a, a person or an event, it will have the shadow of that mm-hmm. in some way, like, uh, illustrated as Christologically. So, mm-hmm. like, it has the, the serpent lifted up on the stake, yeah. and then in the shadow of that is the cross. Yeah, and a lot of times it's a person, so you, you're seeing these shadows of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny because I didn't even notice it until like the third page, and I'm reading it to McLean, and McLean goes, "Hey, look, it's Jesus on the cross or whatever." And uh-huh. so it's like connecting. It's pretty cool the way they illustrate it that That's way. That's cool. So. That's cool. All right, thanks, Nancy. Thanks, uh, Kevin. Uh, yeah, big fans of the show here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Speaking of gifts, I just thought of this. Yeah. I received a wonderful gift yesterday. Okay. From Martina. Oh. You know, I love Boba. The Boba, yeah, Boba tea? Yeah. Yeah. Not Boba Fett. Well, we have listeners I had a trial Star Wars yesterday. fans. I had I a big trial sure. yesterday. I met another friend of this podcast, Casey Disney, for lunch yesterday. Casey? I wanted a sushi burrito. Mighty Casey. That's what I wanted. And at the place where I like to get sushi burritos, there's a, there's a Boba tea place upstairs. Mm-hmm. It was closed. I was devastated. It ruined the meal. <laughs> it's just a great pairing. You are such a, a diva. Pairing. So I came home very distressed over that. Yeah. Well, later in the afternoon, Martina comes by the house um, to bring us something for dinner. Uh-huh. And she goes, look in your fridge. I look in my fridge. She's bought me my own boba starter kit, like a little uh, no. do-it-yourself thing. <gasps> You can make your own boba tea? It's like the packet that you freeze, and then like you do the instructions, and you make your own. And she bought me... It's like a, a Keurig for, for boba no, tea? No, it's like the pack. Like, a, like, a, like you thaw it out, and then it, uh, okay. you do it yourself. And she bought me boba tea ice cream oh from my Trader Joe's. Man, Martina with so the it win. Was just, it, it was just... A, I was blessed. You know? Yeah. Went from trial to blessing with Hashtag winning. Hours. Yes, so thank you, Macaulay's. Man, Macaulay's, Disney. You got any other name drops you want to? No. No? No more name drops. All right. We need to do this. Um, I'm wondering where my, uh, I, I need like an iced coffee like maker if anybody wants to like, looking for you a gift idea. That? If I can make it taste a lot like chocolate milk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just get you, I actually some, make, get some Nesquik. No, I actually make a, uh, mocha frappes for for the boys at times. I think it's called a like Mick a, Cafe. No, I have a little. Uh, <laughs> I have a little um, ice maker or ice. Uh, um, what do you call it? The, the 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 molds. You know where you pour water in it and you just freeze them by hand. Okay. And I have one, and I pour um, I pour leftover coffee in the mornings in those, and I'll freeze them. Mm-hmm. And then you do that with milk and a little chocolate syrup and wow. a little spoonful of sugar makes a really delicious frappe. A frappe. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. You're welcome, audience. Uh, what you? Can, I can get excited about your boba tea. That's dumb. You can't get excited about my frappe. Boba tea is, is a. Uh, oh boy, it's a specialty. Your knockoff McCafes are not. <laughs> is it? Isn't a McCafe a knockoff? Of, <laughs> so mine's a knockoff of the knockoff. Yeah. Well, whatever. McDonald's is gonna shut this down as a trademark. Yeah. What What you don't want to do is let that McCafe sit for more than like twelve minutes. And then see how it becomes a sort of uh, chocolatey mucus. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nasty. Anyway, uh, well, cool. Thanks to the. Uh, uh, I, I will say this: uh, name dropping. Uh, 
Karen and Paul Wilson get back in town this week. They do. That's from exciting. South Africa. The Wilsons are returning home from We've gotten South Africa. You and I have gotten many uh, photos of lions and bears and tigers and Oh my. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They are returning. Yes. We're excited to welcome them back. Yes, very exciting. What are we doing today? We are picking up where we left off. Where did we leave off? Somewhere in Genesis 12-ish area. So, talking through the life of Abraham. Life of Abraham. uh, Trying to kind of give you a prequel to the life of Jacob. Trying to give you a prequel. I'm just kidding. (laughs) A prequel to what? No, I just keep repeating after you things. I'm joking. I was just saying how long it would... I I could do it without irritating you. I need a mute button. (laughs) I need a mute button. All right, go ahead. Sorry. And... Uh, we're connecting to larger themes in the Bible, uh, kind of big stories within very important stories within the beginning chapters of Scripture. And so we're kind of, we're really just walking through the text and pointing out cool things. This is an opportunity to do uh, kind of more than we can in the sermon on certain, like, details. Um, and uh, honestly, it's just what I love to do is walk through Scripture, looking at the details, and then connecting it to the larger story. Uh, and we we got from the beginning of Abraham's story, where he's called out of Ur to come by God. God gives him this amazing promise and uh, sends him to the land that he's promised him. And uh, as we saw last week, he's barely in the land, and then a trial hits, there's a famine. And what does Abraham do? Or Abram? He gets up and leaves. He flees. He kind of balks at uh, the land that God promised him, and he goes down to Egypt. Uh, we see the beginning of kind of an Exodus idea. Um, uh, a guy named John Salehammer, a biblical scholar, he calls these sort of things, when you see these patterns in the Bible of larger stories that just repeat themselves, he calls them design patterns in the Bible. If you've ever listened to the Bible Project guys, they use that language all the time, and they're like the Bible Project is really doing a lot with John Salehammer's stuff. And they talk about design patterns a lot. I think you know this, but uh, I'm just going to remind you of it. My dad sat in his early discipleship period under the Sunday school teaching of John Salehammer. Oh, that's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, that was like his Sunday school class. Yeah. On Sunday mornings. Yeah. Yeah, so if you've ever been blessed by the Bible Project, which is like millions of people listen to that. Sure. Like those guys were are basically disciples of John Salehammer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christ. Yes. <laughs> You had a Jesus trooper there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay, so we're starting to see these design patterns in the Bible. You see this kind of Exodus motif going down to Egypt, um, God's people not where they were supposed to be. And uh, Abram goes down on his own, by his own will, to to try to escape this famine. And what does he do, James, when he gets down there, as we talked about last week? Uh, He turns his wife Sarai over to Pharaoh because she's smoking hot and he doesn't want them to kill him for her, so he lies and says, this is my sister. And they take her into the harem, it would seem, of Pharaoh. Yes. So he's put himself in this terrible position by going down to Egypt, and uh, he realizes, oh, people are going to steal my wife. And he decides to tell this half-truth that she is his half-sister, that he thinks will buy him time in case she wants to be taken. He can ask the brother negotiate. Well, sin outsmarts him because Pharaoh decides he's going to take him, and Pharaoh doesn't negotiate. You don't have to ask the brother if you're Pharaoh. So he takes him, and Abram is in this really tough position now. He's got himself into uh, losing his his wife, um, 
And why this is so important is because it puts the, the promise God gave him at risk mm-hmm. of descendants. Like, if Pharaoh takes him, takes her, and he doesn't have her, like, the promise is it. So he's, he's put the promise of God at stake here, yeah. um, which God promised him, which is a, a really big deal when you start to take things into your own hands. So we see him get into this um, position. We left off kind of uh, Abram sitting there in his own sin and kind of... Uh, in need of rescue. And that's where we're picking up. Genesis 12, uh, we're, we're starting in verse 17. And we're kind of going to work through chapter 13 for this episode. It'll be a little lighter because next week we're going to look at Melchizedek and kind of do Bible nerdy stuff. Um, so we're going to try to make this one a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. But James, will you pick up 17 through 20 of chapter 12? But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Sarai. Sarai. How do you like to pronounce that one? Sarai. Sarai. Yeah. All right, Sarai, Sarai. All right, Abram's wife, verse 18. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, uh, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Okay, so here in this, the whole time he's been in Egypt, in these little verses, you haven't seen God do anything. Like God's been kind of absent while Abraham, Abram's doing his own thing, trying to scheme his own, own way through this. Here, you see God intervene for the first time in this, in this uh, Egypt narrative. Yeah. And it says, God afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So again, you start to see that Exodus motif, that design pattern of God's people, the seed is at risk. They're being... Uh, oppressed. This in this episode, it's they've gotten themselves into this mess. Yeah. Um, and God comes and He saves the promise and the seed by what? Afflicting Pharaoh. What does that sound like? <laughs> his descendants. Years later, what does God do to rescue His people well, out? Only took this particular Pharaoh a single plague. <laughs> yes. This this Pharaoh got the message pretty quick. Um, and you get this. I mean, he somehow figures it out, right? This this is somehow reveals to him that. Abram's done him wrong. And, and Abram, and, I mean, uh, Pharaoh here is saying, you've done this to us. Like, right. So it's kind of this scandalous thing where uh, God is saving the sinner Abram mm-hmm. from, this, uh, from this Pharaoh. Um, it's kind of scandalous. Like, it, Abram's in the wrong here. Right. And what's interesting is now he has real cause to have harmed Abram, and he still doesn't. Yeah which tells you something about how this could have gone if he had just trusted God in the first place. Yes, yes, I think that's very true. That's a good observation. Right, and, I, and, and so we start to see this as a mega theme in the Bible, too, of when not only do we put, in this case, God's seed or his promise on the table, like do we, we, we with our folly, compromise that, but it's almost always in fear. Mm-hmm. So yes. much, like dr- fear drives so much of what the people of God do to try to, in a sense, do for God what God has already promised to do for them. Yes. And when they fear that he's not going to come through, they take matters into their own hands. Yes. And then God's rescue is like, you know, all the more dramatic and all the more scandalous to your yes. point. So, so uh, exactly what James is saying, that is what Abram does a few verses back in 12 through 13 when he, he literally says, if I go into Egypt uh, and... Uh, they see you, he says, quote, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Um, and so then he comes up with his own plan to basically mm-hmm. save himself. 
What does that absolutely neglect in God's original promise to him at the beginning of 12? In 12.3, in the first blessing to Abraham, God says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. He doesn't believe this protection promise. Right, right. He, he literally just throws that out. Yeah. It, so it really is we see a, an issue of unbelief. Mm-hmm. And I, I, one thing I would just encourage us to, this will follow you everywhere through every season of life and every big decision. I mean, small decisions too, but, but one thing that you want to consciously take stock of in every decision-making moment of your life where you're consciously having to like weigh options, mm-hmm. you want to at least make an accounting of your fears. Yeah. What am I afraid of here? Mm-hmm. And it, it, because fear, if we decide, it, it, like some fears are very legitimate and understandable and, and it might be wise to avoid an outcome, but you at least want to be consciously aware of what your fears are and not let yourself be ruled by that and mm-hmm. driven by that, but to actually go, okay, here's where I'm afraid. So what does it look like to trust God with this yeah. fear and then make decisions accordingly? Yeah. And to try to basically attack your fears in ways God said didn't tell you to puts those around you at risk. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I think that's a big part of this. Yeah. Um, and you see that. I mean, and, and again, God intervenes in spite of that yeah. <laughs> to save these people. I mean, you see that here. You see that in the life of Jacob, where you see Jacob, again, same kind of thing. Jacob, there's these spats of narrative where Jacob is doing his own thing and scheming, and God is like, at, like it says, God, like God hasn't said anything. Mm-hmm. And then God will just come in when Jacob's at his lowest point and rescue him out. Mm-hmm. It's like, God, okay, I'm stepping back. You're yep. doing your thing. And look where it's going to get you, and I'm going to have to come save you. If you yeah. just listen to my promise and, uh, and have faith in what I've said. Yeah, and this won't be the last time Abraham does this. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. So let's go uh, start. So that ends kind of chapter, um, chapter 12. Yeah. Right? So Pharaoh's discovered. Uh, he's been afflicted. He's discovered Sarai is Abram's wife, and, he's, uh, and he says, get out of here, basically. Um, so first four verses of chapter 13 say, James, will you read those? So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Okay, so think about an, uh, an Israelite coming out of the Exodus hearing this. When they came out of Egypt, it says they plundered the Egyptians and came out rich. Mm-hmm. That's Exodus 12, 35 to 36. Again, you see this design pattern coming. Abram comes out of Egypt super rich, right? So you've got, you've got that pattern forming. He's, God's delivered him out of Egypt. Uh, he comes out with more than he had. Um, same thing with the Israelites. When God delivers them out of Egypt, they cross yep. over the Red Sea. They come out with all the treasure of the Egyptians. You see the big point over and over again is God utterly saves these people yeah. in spite of them and moves them forward, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we'll see, like, just spoiler alert, the, we'll see the same thing play out with Jacob this Sunday in the coming up message where yes. he finally leaves yes. Pat and Aram and he's going back home mm-hmm. and what is this and what happens he's coming out wealthier yes. than where he came with nothing yes. he leaves with a lot yeah. <laughs> he went out on the trial yeah he is tested he kind of fails in many ways God rescues him God's gracious to him and he comes back and God's blessed him yeah into the land 
Okay, so we're just going to keep walking through the text here. Verses 5 through 7 say this, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So this is, what I'm about to point out is a very subtle thing. But you see this uh, throughout a lot of the patriarchs. Like we tried to present last week when we talked about them, they are very much a mixed bag. Many times they're obeying God. Many times they're blatantly not obeying God. A lot of times they are obeying, obeying God, but then there's little compromises along the way. Mm-hmm. Like, so you see, they're, they're human beings, <laughs> yeah, right? they're a lot like us. So think about this. When God called Abram to come out of the land, like to come out of Ur, he said, leave behind all of your family. Mm-hmm. And he did that, except he brought Lot with him. Mm. It's a subtle thing in the text. Mm. But you see little instances of strife and division and things that... that complicate life. Complicate make life, life harder. Right? So he brought Lot with him. Now they're both kind of having to share the territory and it's causing some, this, these big... Uh, Conflicts. You see these little compromises that he pays for literally years and years and years down the road Yeah. Um, in some ways. Okay, so a big point there, though, in verse 5 through 7 is they prosper. But obviously it's causing uh, division with how much prosper him and, him and Lot have. So James, read 8 through 13. Then Abram said to Lot, there, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Okay, so here you've got this kind of mark in the road between Abram and Lot and kind of the directions they're going to take. You've got basically a choice for Lot to make and a choice for Abram to make. Let's look at the differences between how they choose. Mm-hmm. Right? So I want to point out in this, pa- in this little passage James just read, this is like... If you want a, an example where Abraham really is, like, he's operating full fire on the, on the on promises faith, of God, yeah. like, here it is. Yeah. Like, this is such a contrast between him when he was in Egypt. Sure. Right? He says, Lot, you, you choose. I'm not going to scheme. I'm not going to try to cheat you out of anything. I, God's, like, God's got me. Yeah. God promised what, like, he, Abraham doesn't, doesn't look up and scan and try to say, well, this would be better. He just, he trusts that God is going to place him where he needs to be. It's like Wesley in uh, uh, The Princess Bride when he has the battle of wits with the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Sicilian, <laughs> the guy, you know, never go in and against a Sicilian when death is on the line, you know? <laughs> and he puts the Iocane powder, no. he lets him choose. Yes, he does. Well, that, you might be the first. You know that I've got to make a point. movie reference here and there for people. You do. You do. Yeah, and now everybody bold. wants to go bold. watch that scene of Vincini going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I forgot about that little guy. 
That's a great scene. That is a great. It's scene. a classic. That is a that great is scene. a classic movie. Okay, scene so right there, there. there's your illustration. All right, there's your illustration <laughs> from James. Yeah. Okay, what does Lot do? So Abram Abram says, you know what? God's gonna take care of me. Yeah. I'm. I don't have to look in with my my eyes like I like. I'm gonna trust God's promises a lot. You take what you want. Yeah. He but sees. Contrast that to Lot. He sees a thriving economy and a, a a land of opportunity and a land of flourishing and um, a land of promise, so to speak. Like so, with with uh, physical and economically concerned eyes, he sees. He sees like the kind of world opened up for him over there on the Jordan Valley side. He long the, the text says he longs for something like Egypt. Mm. He looks back to and says, "Oh, this is like Egypt," and the text specifically says he he takes the path east, mm-hmm. which you pointed out a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that that's that's not like geography in scripture, especially when you're talking about east. Yeah, is very it's telling you something. Yeah, when you see east in Genesis especially, it's what, what in the Hebrew, that's like saying he went away from God. He went away from God's land. Yeah. From God's paradise. In the presence of God, yeah. Yes. So I think, too, just at a relational level, um, if we can just draw a practical application sure. out of this, is to go, look, our lives, you can't relate to everybody in your life. Um, like, you have to make decisions about how much connection you'll maintain to however many people you only have so much relational bandwidth. Um and I think something that we see with Abraham and Lot here is worth considering in the landscape of our lives of going, hey, there, there is an appropriate time to separate yourself from people. Yeah. Now, he doesn't do it in an angry tirade, mm-hmm. like a, 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 mm-hmm. a punitive kind of way. It's yeah. just sometimes there's a recognition that, hey, we're moving different directions. Yeah. You're going to see that in Jacob and Laban, And too. our trying to hold together is not good for anybody. Yeah. It's going to ruin our relationship. So for the preservation of love for each other, mm-hmm. for the preservation of peace at some level, there's this recognition, we probably need some distance here. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't get to do that with your wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you shouldn't do that with your, you know, your children who are still mm-hmm. living in your home. Um, so there's, there's certain relationships you don't have that option. Uh-huh. But there are within our lifetime, there are going to be relationships that you feel tied to, bound to, that have a history, mm-hmm. that are hard to break away from, but it really is in the best interest of people. And I just think it gives us a category to think like, yeah, yeah. hey, that's okay sometimes. Mm-hmm. There is, like, we, don't, we can't always go deeper into every relationship we have. Sometimes we need to take a step back, draw some lines in the sand. Maybe I mean, he says... I think it's better that we separate. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe Barnabas and Paul are another example in the New Testament where mm-hmm. it's like, hey, in light of the conflict that they had on these missionaries, like they decide to separate and they yeah. can go do more apart from each other than that way, when the, than what they were able to accomplish with each other at that time. Yeah. So something to think about. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And I, and I think you see that in Jacob and Laban yeah. later on. The text says... They went their separate ways. Yeah. They they made peace, but they made their, they went their separate ways. Like, yeah, and that's pretty clearly like better to separate from people like Laban. Yes, <laughs> and, this, for sure. and do it twenty like before twenty years. Yes, yes. yes. Okay, so big picture here, but in this narrative with Lot and Ab- Abram choosing places, you've got Abram operating on faith here, Lot operating on sight here, and that forces Lot to basically move away from God's promise towards a place that looks more immediately 
uh, satisfactory yeah. or rich. Whereas Abram doesn't think that way. He thinks long game in the promise of God. Yeah. Let me trust God and not walk by sight, but walk by faith. And that's a really good, like, drawing that contrast of faith and sight. I mean, that's in the end what it means to, to walk with God, right? Is yeah. to live by faith rather than by sight. And we see a very clear example of mm-hmm. that contrast here. Yes. And the text is so, it points us out. It's in verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes. And saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the Garden of the Lord, like the mm-hmm. land of Egypt. So it, it's making you, it's it's pointing out. Lot did something. It doesn't say Abram did that. Like Lot, he stood up and and scanned around a bit in mm-hmm. that way. It's trying to draw that. I think. Yeah. I and I, I, another. Gosh, I think there's a lot of practical stuff here, and I don't want to draw too much from it. But but I think just again a recognition when it says that he he went uh, moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Yeah. Like, we also have to make decisions with our lives about where we're going to pitch our tent, so to speak. And so where you decide to root yourself, Mm -hmm. where you decide to root your family, Mm -hmm. these things have consequences. And we don't need to, it doesn't need to be based on the value of homes Mm -hmm. solely or on, you know, how close it is to, you know, this family member or that family member. This is about surrounding yourself putting yourself in an environment where you can thrive and flourish and walk faithfully with God in part. Yes. And so, uh, you know, no city, no environment's going to have all, you know, mm-hmm. uh, everybody following Jesus. And, but, but like it's, it ought to be within our decision-making kind of thought process of going, what are the ramifications and the consequences of if I put myself, my spouse, my children, our grandchildren, I mean, like, my parents decided to move to Atlanta from California. Mm-hmm. I, that had that had that determined who was I going to grow up around. Yeah, the kind of people that you know. My my parents decided to plant a church at some point. Like mm-hmm. that shaped then who were the people that I was going to mm-hmm. grow up around socially and who was going to be influenced by and those kind of things. It's yeah. just like all that. Like there's this foreboding, almost foreshadowing here of what's coming when it's. Oh, the that, text is pointing that out, right? Like, I mean, and so and so, I just think it's something that we have to pay attention to, for sure. For sure. I know somebody who relocated recently in our who's coming to our church who relocated somewhat recently, and in part it's because the surroundings of where they were, in contrast to the surroundings and possibilities of coming here, with no small view towards the spiritual impact of those things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I think that's really wise. Yeah, for sure. Okay, finishing up this chapter here, uh, James, you read verses fourteen through eighteen. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the land, through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent, and he came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Okay, so you see... Hold on. Go ahead. Is he suggesting then that Isaac went... Isaac and you have the same alma mater. You both went to Hebron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Da-ding. That was hilarious. Hebron in Decula, <laughs> Georgia. Oh, different Hebron? Different Is that what Hebron. you're saying? Different Hebron. All right, gotcha. Yes. They look very different. <laughs> I bet they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, so you've so you've got Abram post operating by faith. Now God gives him sight of what he had faith in. Yeah, right. Abram didn't operate on this sight when he was dealing with Lot. He operated by faith. Now God rewards that by saying, "Look, this is 
this is what I promised you. And he tells him to go explore it. Very important. Very important in the narrative. It's slight, but, he's, but and you'll see why in a little bit, or maybe next week. Um, he says, go explore it. Go look. I want you to, to know what I'm giving you. Yeah, survey the land. Um, and it says, and I, I love at the end of this, it, he returns to the Oaks of Memory and builds an altar to the Lord. It's like he returns to a simple place of faith and worship that God has granted what he promised him, has given him faith, has, uh, has rescued him from Egypt. It's like it returns to that place of worship rather than scheming. And don't you kind of wonder, like, I mean, at the time, I don't, are there other people dwelling there? I don't really know. But there's not like built oh, for up. Oh, sure. Yeah, so, but there's not built up but He cities. hasn't possessed it yet. Sure. He hasn't possessed it yet. God I, tells him to go look around for it, and yeah. he starts to slowly. How much take of this is undeveloped? How much of this is? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, that's a good I, question. But it—it's not obvious that that this was even a prized. Oh yeah, yeah. Possession from yeah. any earthly standpoint. Or a lot would have chosen. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it just is interesting that that he's called there to like like there's this vision for what will be, mm-hmm. but it's the seeds of what will be. It's yes. not. It's not the fruition of yes. it. It hasn't come to, yes. like, it's not manifest there. Yes. Um, and so sometimes, like, the eyes of faith are often having to see what is not, what's invisible, what's mm-hmm. not there yet. Uh, but it's seeing possibility, and it's seeing with hope, and it's seeing with confidence that God will bring about what God says he would bring about. Yes. Okay. But I do want to point out one little thing. Remember what I said about... A lot of times you see them being obedient, mm. but then they have little compromises. God tells Abram right here at the end to go explore it all. Go east, west, north. Like go, I want you to go walk through all of it. Yeah. And Abram gets up. He goes a little ways, but then he stops. He, he stops with his tent. tent. He, the text indicates he does mm. not go all the way, and we'll see why that's important in the next chapter. Mm. So let's, I just, we're, we're ending this uh, at 13. And I want to point out something that James just brought up right from the beginning. He saw it right from the beginning. The problem of the Christian life from Abraham to us today is always rooted in unbelief. Mm -hmm. I think this is important because I know for me, a lot of times I think the disconnect between me and people like this in the Old Testament and New Testament is... They don't, they don't struggle with unbelief like me because they saw all this amazing stuff that God did. Like, like <laughs> right. I think, I like think of them very naively sometimes. Mm-hmm. But the text throughout the Bible focuses on the problem of these people did not believe God. They didn't believe His Word. Even in the midst of having all of those signs and wonders and things like that, uh, which Scripture later says pointed to give us a more, like now God speaks to us through His Son. Like they mm-hmm. all look forward to our day. It says yeah. about Abraham. Right. Um, but the, it's always been the problem. Like, they had the same problem that I have. I don't trust that what God says is true. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't trust that Jesus really did rise from the dead and, yeah. and lives through me and has promised to walk me through this life. Like, the problem of unbelief is the problem of people in the Bible. Yeah. And, and it's my problem. And too. probably even more complicated than that is sometimes we do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I believe full on. I have these moments where it's like I'm just filled with faith. Yeah. Then a lot of moments are like I have a sort of partial faith. Mm-hmm. And then there's these moments where I have no faith, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Where I'm just freaked out and I'm yeah. totally cowering in the corner, shriveled up and, yeah. or, or curled up in the fetal position, so to speak. And, and it's like, so at the very, certainly what we could say is that we have a very frail and fragile and, and, a, mm-hmm. and a sort of fickle or yeah. 
fluctuating faith. There's a lot of yeah. F's there. Um, uh, but our, our faith is all over the map. Yeah. And it wanes, it ebbs and flows, mm-hmm. it, it surges and then recedes. Yeah. I, Just like Abraham. I, yeah. Like, I can connect to this. We, we struggle with the same problems in a different time. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's important. That, that helps us see and connect to the, the root problem a lot of times in our lives is our struggles with believing what God said is true. Yeah. Now, Hebrews has this really haunting passage as it relates to unbelief, where um, the writer of Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Mm. I find it really interesting that there's this sort of set alongside evil. Yes. Is an unbelieving heart. Yes. That You see that in Paul, too, when he, he, he talks about not doing things in faith as sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't want to hear unbelief and think, eh, yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of casual. It's not a morally neutral category. Yeah. Unbelief is, I mean, in, in a sense, there are two kinds of people in the world. People yes. who believe and people who do not. Yes. Right? So this is a massive line of separation. Now, I, I, you know, I mean, I think the reality we're speaking to is like that Roman centurion who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's us. Um, that's Abraham too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily the degree of our faith or the unflappability of our faith, mm-hmm. but it is the object of our faith. Yeah. Uh, and that's and, so important, right? Is though I, I think having, like we need to monitor how our faith goes up and down, and I want to grow stronger in my faith. We always have to remember it is not the quality of our faith that saves. Yeah. It is the object of our yeah. faith that saves, and that is Jesus Christ, and that never changes. Yeah. That's why Jesus says, like, a mustard seed of faith moves mountains. Why? Because of the quality of that mustard seed faith? No, because the object of the faith itself. Right. Yeah. That's the X factor. Yeah, our faith, we want to be careful not to place faith in faith. Yes. The faith is in Christ. Yes. It's in the Word of God, mm-hmm. in the faithfulness of God, in the character and the power mm-hmm. of God to be exactly who He says He is, to do what He says He will do. Mm-hmm. And that's not always, again, with the with fleshly eyes of what we see uh, right on the immediate horizon, that's not always telling us the truth about what's going on, right? Sometimes what's right in front of us, that's not the whole picture. That's mm-hmm. a little bit of the picture. And so... Um, I, I, I love this phrase that, uh, that I had heard one time where it said, always account in your planning for plenty of God, mm. <laughs> right? That's what faith does. Yeah. It take, like God is always a factor. Mm-hmm. His word is truth. It, it always needs to be factored in to everything that we're up against. Mm-hmm. And if we're not factoring in plenty of him, then we're walking by the flesh. Amen. All right. So we literally just saw walk by faith, not by sight through the story of Abraham here. And um, next week we are going to look at uh, another narrative in Abraham's story with, I would say, the most mysterious figure in all of the Bible. Dun, dun, dun. Melchizedek. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. <laughs> okay. That was so dramatic. We'll see you guys next week.